the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, episode 546, for Sunday, March 29th, 2015. folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab here on this lovely, brisk Sunday morning. This is the show where you send in your questions. We answer them. People have called us car talk for Apple geeks, and that's kind of what we try to do. Yeah, we share our opinions about other things, too, but the goal is for you to learn lots of stuff every time you listen. Our sponsors for the show include Linda at lynda.com slash MGG, where you can get a 10-day free trial of their fantastic training videos. We'll talk more about that later. Our sponsors also include iAmazing, formerly Discate at iAmazing.com. Uh, awesome app, and I've got a story to tell you about how it totally saved my bacon and let me do something otherwise impossible with my iPad this week. And uh, coupon code MGG gets you 20% off of that. I also want to thank Microsoft because, you know, they've created those stores inside the mall. And that's a good place for a man to get some thinking done. You know, you want to get away from the hustle and bustle and all the people in the mall. Man, those Microsoft stores are like an oasis in the middle of all of that. It can be packed in the mall. It can be Christmas time. And that Microsoft store is just devoid of anything that might remotely resemble things being busy here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Braun. <laughs> How you doing, John? Believe, believe it or uh, not, Microsoft uh, didn't pay us uh, for me to say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they would. <laughs> <laughs> Did you figure that out? Yeah. Well, if, if tranquility was the angle they wanted you to promote, then yeah, I'd say that that was a great spot. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I mean, I can only assume they're really smart people that work at Microsoft. I can only assume that was their goal because it's like that everywhere. I don't know why that is, but uh, it is nice. But Dave, I, I oh, and we lost John, which is really interesting because he was about to tell us about what happened to his Mac. Uh, on, Are you back, John? Yes. Okay. So John's Skype connection will clean up um, as he talks to us. So, uh, so John, tell us what's going on with you today. Well, it's not so much me, but but um, I'm I'm afraid there was a, uh, a fatality in my computing family. <laughs> what died? So um, so so I I popped my head in in uh, in my office here, what I call my office, where I have the Mac Mini and my podcasting rig here, and I popped my head in just to you know see if there was anybody in the room. <laughs> um, and I noticed that the uh, some lights were on that shouldn't be on, and I'm like, well, that's weird. The thing is, I have this machine set up to do a carbon copy cloner backup at two in the morning. Okay. Then, uh, it's supposed to go to sleep and all the lights are supposed to go off. I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So, um, you know, hit the, uh, hit the mouse, uh, wake up the screen and, uh, the machine is wedged it's in process of making a backup and something terrible happened. And I'm like, Hmm, all right, well, uh, let's, uh, restart and see what's going on here. So, uh, you know, the way you do that with, uh, both the Mac and pretty much any computer is you hold down the power button for, you know, usually five seconds and that'll shut the machine down and then you, you can power it up again, powered it up, asked for, uh, you know, the password cause I have file vault enabled and it started to boot and then, uh, kind of got lost and it never completed the boot process. I'm like, uh, okay, that's great. So, uh, you know, got my, uh, 
uh, recovery, uh, you know, drive genius, uh, you know, a little recovery drive here. So, uh, you know, put that in, booted yep. from that. And it showed me the drives that were plugged in. Um, Minus one. Uh, well, yeah. And I saw my backup drive, which is a RAID array. And uh, there's also another uh, uh, partition on one of the drives. And, uh, but, but I noticed somebody missing the SSD. <laughs> not I'm like, good. oh boy. Yeah, not good. So uh, I set my backup drive, one of them as, uh, as the boot drive and restarted. And uh, it took quite a while because it's a it's a FireWire 800 uh, drive inside, uh, you know, connected to the FireWire 800 port of this machine. Um, so things were much, much, much slower <laughs> than I'm seeing a lot of spinning beach balls. But the drive is not even there anymore. I, I even looked, you know, how, how could I tell the drive is not there? Well, first, you know, I fired up this utility and I didn't see it. And I also looked in system info. There is nothing on the SATA bus. No devices whatsoever. Yeah. That's what I saw when uh, the SSD, this was a old, like first generation run core 128 gig SSD that I had at that point. It had already been migrated to the machine had been migrated to my daughter and it just, yeah, it, it disappeared. And I tried it in, I mean, once I extracted it from the computer, I tried it in all kinds of external cases and it like zilch. It was as though the case wasn't even plugged in because they don't tend to come online until there's, you know, a drive attached to the other side of the controller board. And uh, yeah, nothing. That's just and and that's um, as we've heard, that's typical. That's how SSDs fail when they die. They just that's it. All done. But that one's less than a year old. This, yeah, uh, the you had the OCZ drive in there, so that correct that shouldn't have died. Um, that was one of the ones that we got as part of kind of our you know uh, the 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 golden year of SSD experiment that we started last year, and that was one of the ones that we got for a long term test. So uh, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't expect that you were overtaxing that drive and just writing to it constantly or doing anything. Although writing to it constantly shouldn't cause it to fail. It, the the worst thing. That could happen there is that it would stop receiving more rights, uh, but I don't think you were even anywhere close to that number. I think, I think you probably just got a bad a bad drive. Yeah, so I don't know if I'll you know uh, bring it up with them, see if there's any anything I can do to revive it. I, I get the feeling no. I've already um, yeah I've already looped you in on an email with them, so you've you've got you've got our contact there, and you can you can work that. Um, with them and, and see, but I, my guess is you're right that you're not going to get that drive back online. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm current. I mean, things are running slower again because the drive is in an enclosure, but, um, you know, what I'm going to do after, after we're done with the show is, uh, pop the drive out of the enclosure and put it in the Mac mini. So, uh, you know, I get something resembling, um, <laughs> normal, my, normal speed. My guess is that's not going to make a huge amount of difference for you. Oh, only because I've done it the other way, right? Where I've had an SSD external and then moved it inside. And other than benchmarks with, you know, things like, like black magic or whatever, uh, I haven't really perceived any speed increase when I've done that, uh, for normal operations. Obviously if there's, you know, big uh, file copies or something, then, then you notice it. But, um, yeah. other, otherwise right. now Mike, I, I really believe that, um, and I'm curious how your machine is. I mean, it, it's hard to say, right? Because you're that drives going through or trying to go through all kinds of its, you know, cache building and spotlight building and you know all of that stuff. So it's it's got more going on than it normally would. But um, I really don't. I, I believe that OS 10 is no longer 
no one worry, no one at, at Apple worries about how it's going to run on a spindle drive. I don't think there's any optimization done anymore. And that, that again, that, that, that does not come from, you know, some little source at Apple or anything. That is totally my interpretation, but mm-hmm. I don't think I'm wrong. Yes. So, so there you go. Hey, I want to talk about uh, Linda, John, as I mentioned in the pre-show or in the, in the pre-roll in the intro there, uh, the folks at lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G, they are offering you via this link 10 free days of their awesome videos. If you're listening to this show, it's because you want to learn new things. In fact, we stated that in the intro. Linda is there to teach you new things. These videos are so well put together and on all kinds of different topics. You know, maybe you're getting your tax refund. What are you going to do with that money? Are you just going to burn it on uh, something or are you going to maybe invest it? And if you're hesitant to invest it because you don't know really a whole lot about the stock market and how to deal with it. Well, Linda has videos for you. This is one of the things, right? They, they, and they have tech videos too, right? You can learn OS 10 and then you can learn the basics of the stock market. You can, you can go a lot deeper with that too. Uh, you know, you can learn all kinds of things and these are taught by people who really know what they're doing. These are experts in the field. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there's one right here, Ru- Rudolph Rosenberg's making investment decisions video. Awesome stuff, right? Finance fundamentals, accounting fundamentals, if you want to go a little further. But you can also go in the fundamental series, foundations of programming. You want to understand how loops work. You want to get yourself going. This is how this works. And they really are well put together. Every one of them, you can stream online. You can stream on your iPhone. You can stream on your iPad. That's all part of this 10 free days. Uh, They have chapters in them. So that you can, uh, you know, you don't have to, to absorb the whole course all at once. If you don't want to, you can just pause and move on. You can even have it auto pause for you after every chapter, because maybe you want to take some time to play. You, you know, you're in the course. Wouldn't it be awesome if uh, right in the middle of a class with the teacher, you could say, hang on, uh, take five, buddy. I want to play with this new thing you just sent. Instead, what you do in a, in a t- traditional classroom is you do play because, you, you know, you're right there and then you lose whatever the next thing is the teacher was trying to tell you. Well, here you don't have to. You just say pause and the teacher does. Those takes five or 50. It doesn't matter. Ready for you when you want to come back. You got to check this out. Uh, it, I, I just can't speak highly enough of it. Uh, I don't know the words and you know how loquacious I am. I am rarely at a loss for words. So you just got to go check it out. Lynda.com slash MGG is where you're going to start. That starts you with your 10 day free trial. But here's the thing, you know, it's 25 bucks a month to get started with Linda. Uh, You can, you can pay more if you want to download the courses for offline viewing onto your iPad or whatever, but otherwise 25 bucks a month gets you access to everything. There's over 2000 courses there and they're constantly adding new ones and, you know, expiring old ones that are no longer relevant. So there is just, it's a huge amount of material and you can pick what you want to learn. 25 bucks a month. You're not going to learn that anywhere for that price. Not at this quality. 25 bucks a month. Linda.com slash MGG. Please do use that link, though. Not only does it get you the 10 free days, which you know you don't need because you're just going to buy it anyway, uh, but get your 10 free days. 
that link gives us credit for uh, sending you there and lets them know that these uh, these spots that we do for them work. And we appreciate that. And so do they. Lynda.com slash MGG. And with that, John, let's go to Paul. Paul reminds us, Paul, and actually, uh, this is a tip. And it, it comes to us from Paul, but really it's uh, it's his son, Trey, who is a big fan of the show. Uh, Paul was having some issues. In fact, we talked about him in the last show. He was the one that wanted to uh, copy stuff from an SD card then uh, use his SD card as his drive on his Mac. And he has been doing that and it it's working fine. But initially, when he plugged in that SD card, it did not appear on the desktop. And uh, it was Paul's son, Trey, who told Paul, yeah, you know, you've got to go in and turn on a couple of things in the finder preferences in order to get external drives to appear in the sidebar and on the desktop. So if you go to finder preferences uh, in the general tab, you've got show these items on the desktop and external disks is one of them. Also connected servers. If you have a NAS you can choose whether or not you want these things on your desktop. And it's one of those things in the finder that we often forget about. So, uh, and if you want them in the sidebar, go over two tabs to the sidebar tab at the top of the screen and you get to pick what appears in your sidebar as well. So thank you, Paul and Trey for that tip. Good stuff. John, you want to take us? Do you, well, do you have anything to say about, about that? Did I, is there anything further in there that nope. there's a favorite of yours? All right. You want to take us to Greg? Oh boy. Greg's got a head scratcher. So Dave says, or I'm sorry. I could, <laughs> Greg I could says, say. <laughs> Greg says, hi, John and Dave. How are you? Like I said, I'm, I'm doing, doing terrible. My, my SSD is terrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing great, but um, hey, right. I have a question about a Mac mail issue. I have a Yahoo email IMAP account. And sometimes when I send a message, the message completely disappears. I know you will think this is an envelope directory issue. Uh, no, I don't. Um, at least I don't. Uh, but I'll explain why I don't think it's that. Most times I send the mail, it goes to the right sent mailbox, which is on the server. And if I check it on the Mac and the web interface, it's in both places. Sometimes when I send an email, it's just gone. The one I sent today, I asked if they received it and they said yes, but it's just nowhere to be found in Mac mail. Here's what I did to troubleshoot it. I am running the latest version of Yosemite and do not have any mail plugins enabled now and i disabled mail act on to see if it was that but it doesn't it seems like it's not i vacuumed the envelope a few times in the months i have been troubleshooting this this issue has actually been around for a while i had it in mavericks too i also manually went to the sent folder and the mailbox menu chose rebuild but it didn't bring the messages back i even went into the library folder and went to mail v2 folder and went into the folder for that email address and then went to the send folder and viewed all the emails inside the folder titled messages i only have 37 emails and inside the message folder there are 37.emlx files and none of them are the missing emails i've done a clean install and nuke and pave recently and i got some new flash drives and did the data doubler um, with mac 2010 pro i've also read index spotlight any suggestions i think it's a mac mail issue because the people get the mail, but it just disappears. And then we went back and forth, Dave. All right. We'll see how many back and forths we do here, but um, I'll tell you what I think, and this would certainly explain it. Um, I suspect that mail is doing what it thinks it should. And why do I say that? 
because there is something happening that you can tell mail to do. Now it's buried in the mail interface, but if you run mail and you go to preferences, accounts, and then you highlight the mail account, there's going to be a mailbox behaviors tab. Uh, and it's going to be for the four major mailboxes that any uh, IMAP should have, draft, sent, junk, and trash. Now under sent, there's two choices that you can make. So there's one little checkbox, store sent messages on the server. And it sounds like that's happening because he said he would check and on the server. It's like, okay, great. But then there's another setting, Dave. And it says delete sent messages when. Now, in my case, uh, I have it set to never. But there are also some other options, one day old, one week, one month, and quitting mail. Now, as far as I know, if you're running, and it wasn't clear to me if he was running mail on multiple machines or not. As it turns out, as, as we, we started having more of a discussion, um, he is. And as far as I know, Dave, these uh, you can set this up independently in that you could have one machine with one group of settings for mailbox behaviors and another machine have different settings. Right. I think that's what's happening here. Yeah. And don't forget uh, on your iPhone, you have a similar uh, setting to choose as well. So you may have all your Macs set to never delete, but if your iPhone's set to delete after a week or a month, uh, that's going to happen. Yes. So I believe the default is that it is after a month that it's going to delete things. Now I do not. Uh, all right. So, so that was my, my opening volley. Yeah. Right? The, 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 to solve the problem. Sure. And it is good. Hero. I mean, in a general sense that, you know, this is the first place to look. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see here where Greg's particular issue went, but in, in a general sense that that's the first place to start for sure. Yeah. And then he replied and said, well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the response. Um, but yes, I already had that set on the server and never was already selected. Um, then we get a little bit deeper and he says, I also have this issue somewhere in my other Mac where my laptop was not migrated from that one. So it's definitely a head scratcher. Yes, I agree. But it sounds like here the statement that he's making is that all the settings on all the machines are, in fact, what, what I suggested and that it's set up to not delete from the sent folder. Um, now to your point, Dave, now that was another one I said, and I'm like, oh, okay, now you're running multiple machines here. And then, yeah, so I went to the next level and I said, well, yeah, well, you want to make sure that your mappings, now I don't believe the iOS interface actually has a setting that will expire messages. Sent no, messages, that's, Dave. you're right. It, it's only for, well, so let's look at this, right? If I go into a standard IMAP account, and I go into the account and I go into advanced on iOS. Uh, we have deleted messages I can remove after day, week or month or never. But you're right. Sent messages. I have no option to delete. So I, I think you're right. iOS is not going to expire sent messages. Just OS 10 mail uh, in, in this case. Right. That's right. Yep. Now, what I think may be happening now, he also mentioned he seems to notice that things get stuck um, in the drafts folder when he's composing messages. So then that led me to my second suggestion here, which I think what's happening is a combination of the two. So number one, again, on all your machines, check the settings for your sent mailbox. But then number two, what you want to do, and we've seen this happen before, and every now and then I have this happen, 
uh, you want to make sure that when you're running IMAP, all your clients are looking in the same place as far as these four, again, these four major categories of folders or uh, mailboxes. And the thing is, you can certainly have it set up where different clients are looking or putting things in different places. Right. So in that case, what you're saying is absolutely correct, Dave, is that if you do go into mail contacts and calendars and then you select your account and then you go, you click on the account again, you will see, and then you go to advanced. So you got to really dig in under uh, iOS. You will see mailbox behaviors and you will see drafts sent, deleted and archive and what they are mapped to on the IMAP server. The thing is, if they're not all in sync, you're going to see what he's describing and that well, things gonna, are going to seem to mysteriously disappear. Or, or what I'm saying is that if, if everybody, if all of your clients are not mapped to the same place on the IMAP server, that to me can explain why things seem to, I mean, totally. I can't believe that they're disappearing. They're being right. put somewhere. They're just not being put where you think you expect them to be. They have to be put somewhere. And, and again, I, I think if, if you, you review all of these settings here, for example, sometimes uh, like I'm looking on the iPhone, for example, if, if I look on the iPhone for one of my accounts, actually my, my Yahoo uh, IMAP account, and I click on sent, it says, oh, would you like to store it on the server? Or would you like to store it on the sent folder on your phone? It's like, That's right. Oh. Uh, again, one of these settings on one of your device on one of the devices has to be set to either be placing it locally or be placing it in a folder that is not the folder that you think uh, yeah. uh, that you expect to see it in. And, uh, and if that has to be the solution here, it's just it can get squirrely because every client, again, has to be set up identically or this is going to happen. Yeah. And in Greg's case, I said, Scott, because that's the next one on the list. Uh, in Greg's case, he meant when he mentioned that the drafts sometimes are being stuck on the server, that is almost certainly uh, an issue between OS 10 mail and Gmail and the way Gmail's IMAP works. And and with that, it will happen if anyone, not every, but any one of your clients from which you send mail is um is storing drafts on the server you you have to set if you're using gmail your drafts need to be set to not store on the server otherwise your drafts folder will just fill up with message fragment or after message fragment and it's a mess so you got to turn that off um if you're using gmail it's just the way it works right so that's suggestion number two so suggestion number two is to make sure that your mailbox mappings and you can do this in apple mail as well and that's going to be um in the mailbox menu, you're going to see use this mailbox as when you highlight a mailbox and you'll make sure that drafts, sent, junk, trash, all, all that stuff are, are set up correctly. That's right. That's right. The last thing to do. All right. If, if, uh, if you go through all of the prior suggestions and it's still happening, then the only place that I think you can look now, it's going to get geeky and it's going to, you're going to be looking at logs but uh, to me, it's the only way to absolutely solve this problem is that if you go to the window menu in, in OS 10 mail and then you go to connection doctor, well, connection doctor is swell because it'll show you the status of all your uh, email connections, both your SMTP and your, oh, and look at that right now. Mine says my Gmail SMTP is set up wrong. Great. 
Nice. <laughs> but there's going to be a little checkbox here, and this is very valuable. And there's going to be a log connection activity box. And if you check that box, and then there's a button next to it, it'll say show logs. This will show you the raw conversation between mail and your email server. Uh, most of it makes sense in that, you know, it'll say, oh, okay, I'm selecting this mailbox. I'm creating this messages. I'm reading from this. I'm writing to this. That's going to be the way you're absolutely going to solve this problem. If, if none of the other things uh, uh, seem to, to raise yep. a flag as far as not being set up right, then that's the last place that you'll look. But it's going to be a lot of data, but it's, it's the only, it, it, it's the last resort. Yep. If you don't want to save those logs to disk and just want to see them temporarily in real time in that same window, just tap the show detail button and that will show you the logs without saving them anywhere. Uh, it, as John said, there's a ton of data that's going to go by here. So you may not, this may not be valuable to you without saving it to a file, because once you save to a file, you can start, you know, searching on it and, and scrolling through in a more comfortable environment. But, uh, but the data is there. If you're having a problem, especially if it's a, if you can't log in and, and you're not getting a detailed error message from mail again, it's, it's window connection, doctor show detail, and you get to see the raw conversation with the mail server and sometimes it's you know you've you're logged in too many times or you know something like that right or you've tried your password too many too many password attempts and so you're locked out for an hour mail sometimes passes those messages along by way of a dialogue box but other times it does not and that's where this gets handy to just show the detail you don't have to save your you don't have to fill up your disk with uh you know all kinds of verbose mail logs uh but you still get to see all that by hitting the show detail button in that connection doctor so handy stuff all right, moving on to Scott. Scott has a question, and uh, and let's see what he uh, what he says here. He he says I have to appeal to your kind and generous natures and ask for a router recommendation. I will not say that Apple routers are junk because they're not, but I have noticed lately that my fairly new Airport Extreme, the tower model, has been acting flaky. I've seen this behavior with an older extreme in that the connection internally is simply lost. My network includes a new uh, Motorola surfboard 60. There goes, John. I'm going to keep, I'll keep going with the question. Maybe John will come back. Uh, Motorola surfboard cable modem that connects directly to the airport extreme. I have an eight port switch connected to the extreme and all machines that can be wired are connected to the switch. When the extreme started acting up, I plugged in my MacBook Air, actually my employer's MacBook Air, into the cable modem first. I found it working, then into the extreme uh, and found that to be the issue. I reset the extreme and it works for a little bit, but then fails with no lights on the extreme indicating a problem. Hard to troubleshoot, of course, and uh, it's even tougher. Of course, Scott uh, is visually impaired, so he needs to uh, have someone else look at the lights for him and all of that. Uh, he says, I know everything will fail at some point, but it seems the airport, the Apple Express routers might be a bit more reliable than their extremes. With all that said, what router should I consider? Preferably one with a good HTML interface. He says, I really like the Apple routers since the airport utility works great with voiceover and sub web interfaces are not fun to use. And um, before we go into an answer here for you, Scott, I'm going to see if I can get John Braun back. 
I don't have John back yet, but uh, my guess is he's sorting something out on that end. I will answer Scott's question here, and then hopefully we'll have John back. Um, I'll start by saying I have never heard of any sort of widespread reliability issues with Apple's current generation of airport routers. Um, and honestly, if, if you had come to me and said, Hey, look, you know, I need a good quality router. Uh, I don't need any, you know, of the kind of more esoteric features like a VPN or, you know, the extra tweaking on my wireless connection or things like that. Um, it, uh, I would say, go get an Apple router. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's the, it's the way to go because it does have all that voiceover stuff because you're running a separate app for it that Apple has built and has baked all that stuff in. Uh, and let's see if we can get Mr. Braun back here. Let's see. There we back. go. All right. I'm going to finish answering Scott's question here, John. So, uh, I've read the question and given some of it here, but I would, uh, for Scott, I would definitely recommend, uh, on the airport router. And, um, I don't think your issue is the router. I mean, it, it, I don't think your issue is a widespread one with airport routers. You might have a bad airport router. That's totally feasible. Uh, and perhaps the most likely scenario here, but if your connection is just flaking out, um, take a look at your doxis upstream and downstream power levels, just to make sure that the problem isn't on the other side here. Uh, if you visit 192.168.100.1 in your web browser and look for the DBMV power levels, uh, upstream should be somewhere less than 55 DBMV and preferably closer to 40 and downstream should be in a range, um, closer to zero, but up to positive 15 or negative 15. So 15 points away from zero is what's considered accessible, acceptable uh, single digits is better uh, on either side of, of zero there. But, um, but it sounds to me like you just have a bad airport router and that there's not a problem with airport routers in, in general. Uh, that that's, that's the, uh, they're not my favorite routers, but it has nothing to do with the hardware. It's just that the software doesn't allow you to do some of the funny, you know, fun, more fun, geeky things that, that I like to do. Uh, but, but in terms of reliability and even range and all of that, they're, you know, up there, uh, I would consider them, you know, amongst the best in the class, uh, along with, you know, Asus, uh, I've liked Buffalo stuff. I have to say that Buffalo lost the product manager that really pushed a lot of those geeky features. So I'm not entirely sure about their future, but the stuff that they have right now is great. And, uh, Asus is another one that is fantastic in terms of really pushing the envelope on capabilities, both hardware and software. And Netgear is, is in that realm. They've, 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 they've got some, some things to do, but they're, some of the stuff that they're doing is very cool. And I've, I've been um, very happily checking it out. D link as well, right. Is pushing that envelope. And the problem with all of, and, and so is Belkin now that they've acquired the Linksys brand. Right. So those are, you know, those are all routers that, that you're, you're going to be happy with. But when it comes to voiceover, I don't think anything is going to beat having Apple's airport utility app. So, so there you go. I know you, I know you didn't hear this, all of this discussion, John, cause I kind of kept it going as I was waiting for you to reboot. But, uh, but I, I think you read the question. I think you know what's going on. Any, anything to add? 
Yeah. No, I didn't reboot. Uh, I, I got the, the spinny in uh, Skype. And then uh, when I looked at the screen, uh, yeah, Skype is acting up. I don't know why. Hmm. Hey, I have a question. I have a question for you because I know you and I are using a slightly older version of Skype. So go into general and messaging and the emoticons option. I'm sorry, Skype preferences, general, uh, sorry, Skype preferences and then messaging, not general. You still there? Yep. Okay. Uh, For emoticons, Set it to either standard or don't show animated emoticons in everything, but the very latest version of Skype are will slow down the CPU immensely. So I don't know what, I don't know what you had it set to, but Uh, if I ever get the menu, click on the Skype menu and I'm getting the beach ball again. Okay. So something else is chewing on your drive and Skype is just taking the fall for it. Uh, There we go. No, hold on. All right. So preferences. Yep. Uh, where again? Uh, messaging. messaging. Yep. Emoticons. Uh, use large emoticon. Uh, emoticons. Animated. Yeah. You know, well, change. Change that show. for now. Yeah. Exactly. Say don't show. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. If, carry if it, on. If it took you that long to get to the menu, uh, there's something chewing on your drive, and it's not Skype. I mean, Skype doesn't really chew on the yeah. drive there could be something wacky with this enclosure too i'm not sure oh yeah or yeah. that's why i want to pull the drive out of here yeah 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 possible got it so um yeah as far as routers um no i i uh, got the gist of uh what yeah. you're saying there i'm uh and you know it could be i mean like you remember i had one of the first generation time capsules and that's when we got into the whole battle about whether five gig or 2.4 is better oh that's right and yeah like, that's a good discussion well, my tests with <laughs> this yeah. first generation show that five is terrible. And mm. it's like, no, it's not. And now I have, I think the uh, third or fourth generation right. uh, airport express uh, or airport extreme. And, uh, and it performs a lot better. Yeah. So, uh, no Apple. I mean, in terms of their hardware, they've always been on the, you know, the, 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 the very latest, um, they just choose to limit the options available in their software uh, for a lot of reasons, but it's just, you know, that's typical Apple, right? That's, that's the, that's their whole MO and it's, it's fine, you know? So, all right. Uh, com. I, uh, this is a great piece of software. You know, we talk about this. It, it, it's Genesis was the authors, uh, at DigiDNA, which is the company that makes it used to call it disc aid. Now it's called iMazing. Uh, same great software just keeps getting better and better. Their whole idea was we want to be able to do things that iTunes can't in terms of putting songs on and taking songs off of your iPod. And of course now iPhone and iPad and all of that stuff. Uh, they've expanded that though, into being able to take anything that's on there, not just songs, not just videos, not just voice memos, which is awesome. Sometimes if you record a long voice memo, this is the only way to get it off without using iTunes and, and having to jump through a lot of hoops. You just plug your phone in, you find voice memos in your phone in iMazing and you drag it to the desktop. It is literally that simple. So, um, but what they have done is they also allow you to look at apps. Now, why might this be important? Well, here's an interesting scenario. Um, and, and I'll, I'll explain what I did and then I'll explain what, why you could use this 
for a lot of different reasons. So uh, I, I'm a big fan of Mackie's uh, iPad controlled mixer, right? And I use it with a lot of the bands that I play with and, and it's just fantastic. It's their DL1608. And they updated the software on the mixer last year on the iPad last year, which then updates the mixer, but their new software requires iOS eight and or at least iOS seven, but something that older iPads couldn't run. So a lot of people kind of held back and didn't upgrade. And I was one of them and, and this was fine. And then they released, they finally got smart and released a second version of the app so that you could have this classic version that would run alongside of the, the new version. And you could use either if say you're using your iPad with multiple mixers and which is great. Um, but I wanted to get my settings from the original version of the app over to the classic version. And of course, iOS doesn't provide a way to do that. And iTunes doesn't provide a way to do that. But here's what I did. I went into iMazing and I went into the uh, original version of the app, we'll call it. And, uh, and I, I went in and I opened up the documents folder and saw that there was nothing there. So each app is in its own little sandbox and you can see this. It's perfectly displayed inside iMazing. And uh, you twist open the app. And you'll see caches, documents, libraries, and temp is what's typically there, but there might be other things. So I looked in documents. There was nothing uh, of, of any value to me there. So I twisted open library and I saw quite a few things, including things that said uh, presets and shows, which were the two things that I wanted to copy. I'm like, awesome. So I copied the whole thing, the, the, the entire library folder to my desktop. The think about what I just did. I took the library folder from an, iOS app sandbox and I put it on my Mac's desktop. Then what I did was I, before I did this, I went into my iPad and I, I force quit the apps that I was going to be messing with because I wanted them to, once I, you know, I didn't want them to, to be running while I was messing with their data. And then I went and found the folder for this, you know, new app that they're calling classic. And I dragged those settings in replacing the shows and presets folders inside the library folder of this new app that's called classic. And i launched the app and all my settings were there. So this is something that there's no way you could do this with iTunes. Um, amazing is I think the only app I know of that you can do this with. And, and let me remind you, my iPhone is not jailbroken. This is, you know, totally stock. Everything from Apple, I haven't done anything different. And iMazing truly is amazing. Let's me get in there. So while you may not be in a scenario, this is the first time I've ever had to actually move settings from one app to a different app. But check this out. Let's say you backed up your iPhone because you were having some problems with it. And then you, you know, you, you don't want to restore from the backup. You just want to start fresh. By golly, you want your high scores from your favorite game in your iPhone now that you've started it from scratch, but you've downloaded the app fresh from the app store. There's no way to restore just that from a backup with iTunes, but there is with iMazing. And you can do exactly what I did and copy just the data from one app back in. And this is really huge. It, it really opens up what you can do with your iPad and iPhone um, in terms of, of restoring just individual data and documents from an app. So you got to check this out. Imazing.com coupon code MGG gets you 20% off. And, uh, and then there we go. So, uh, I, somebody in the, in the chat room, Brian Monroe's asking, uh, 
is uh, wouldn't that data be backed up from iCloud? Well, it, it would if the app saved it to iCloud, but not every app saves all the data you want to iCloud. In fact, that's not the case with most things that I've found. And that's where iMazing really comes in handy is you can save it to your Mac. You can extract it from a backup. You can extract, you can just save it like I did. If you know, I know I want this app's data, just save it. And uh, then you just put it back into place with iMazing. So iMazing.com is the place where you're going to start. And uh, so a little bit of a, an advertisement, but also tried to bake in a tip for you here. And I think we succeeded. So that's uh, amazing.com coupon code MGG gets you 20% off. Thank them please for supporting the show. It's uh, it's great stuff. So a little tip goes a long way. Um, while we're on this subject of tips and things like that, John, you're back with me, right? We lost you for a little bit. I lost you too. That's what I heard. Yeah. Um, who knows what's going on here, but uh, the recording's still going, which is which is actually really good. Uh, this week we got to see the release of uh, for the Mac of a new version of Fantastical, which is a an app for um, well, it's a calendaring app. Uh, the first version of Fantastical was just a little menu bar widget that allowed you. Uh, they really did a good job. They were the first to do a great job with natural language input. So you could add new things to your calendar just by saying, you know, I'm going to have uh, lunch with John on Tuesday and it would figure out, oh, I said lunch. So it's going to make it at noon. And of course, you can adjust all this stuff, but it really did a good job. And of course, you know, calendar, the, the Max calendar does that. And a lot of other apps do it now, too. Fantastical was, I believe, the first and certainly were the first to get it right. Uh, Fantastical 2 adds a lot uh, adds a full featured calendar and, and his build is a calendar replacement app. And, and it, and it is, it's a fantastic one. And you've probably, if you've spent any time on the web this week, you've seen lots of people gushing over how this is the end all be all of all calendar apps. Um, it is fantastic. And it is a great calendar replacement. Uh, I will say this though, just to put some things in perspective, it is not a calendar for people that have a lot of events on their calendar yet. Uh, the UI is is actually quite gorgeous. It's a really well done third part. It's an it's a great example of how a third party can do a Yosemite UI and really make it feel at home uh, on the Mac. And I, I love it. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to test it uh, before it came out. And, and I, I really, really love it. Um, they've done some good things. They've added in things like uh, 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 calendar. I can't think they call them calendar sets where you can say, okay, well, when I'm looking at, you know, you can call one set work or one set home and have it show you different calendars. And, and it's great, but I, I don't want people to lose sight of the fact that there is this other app out there called BusyCal that's been around for a very long time. And when it comes to, and I'll put up an article on this so that you can really see the differences um, and you know, if you have more than say four things on your calendar in a day for, for events on your calendar, Fantastical is not currently for you, at least not Fantastical too. It just doesn't have the UI doesn't allow for that kind of density and in terms of being able to see it all and at once in a way that that makes sense to you. Um, it, it's you know, it's but it, but it, they're not billing it as that they're billing it as a replacement for calendar. They're not billing it as a replacement for calendar for busy people. And, and in that sense, BusyCal uh, really owns that space still. Doesn't mean that Fantastical 2 won't get there or Fantastical 3 won't get there. I think it'll get there before Fantastical 3. I think they'll, they'll work on the UI some more. But um, 
but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a worth. it's great to see it out there. But uh, before you make your purchase decision, check out both and, uh, and see what you like best. Because uh, if you are a busy person, busy Cal is probably better for you, even though busy Cal's UI isn't quite the, you know, full on Yosemite experience that fantastic Cal is. So I will, I will throw that out there. Busy Cal also does have um, the, the, uh, the calendar sets, they call them filters, uh, but they're actually much easier to access because they put them in a find or in a Safari favorites style bar right across the top of the screen. So you can just pop along. And the really nice thing that I like about busy Cal is if I just want to see one calendar, I have a set or a filter called none, which has nothing in it. And then I can just turn on one calendar if I want. And that that's an option that's actually very difficult to do in fantastic Cal Cause you'd have to go create a whole new set with just that one calendar in it. But, um, but that's okay. It's uh, different, different UIs for different people, but uh, I'm sticking with busy Cal for now. It, uh, I would love to use Fantastical. I, I was happy to get it and test it during the beta process, but um, I have more than four things on my calendar most days. And it, it just, it's over, it's overwhelming. And the software performs fine. It's just overwhelming visually. And you just can't see what you're, what you're going to do. So I wanted to throw that out there and balance a little bit of what, uh, what I've been reading where people seem to have forgotten about busy Cal, which is a shame because uh, it really is one of the best apps I use every day on my Mac. So I think you, you still use calendar, right, John? Yes. And you know, one of the features that I still like about it, Dave is the uh, data detectors in mm. mail. Like a lot of times my, uh, uh, my sister is kind of the, uh, the family social coordinator and she'll send me, uh, or, or to the, the rest of the family an email with, uh, you know, upcoming events. And it's just so cool to see mail when you hover over a date and a time, uh, say add to calendar and it adds it to the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Still amazes me how it, how it pulls that off. Uh, that that's one thing, you know, I think is unique to the, uh, you know, if you use the Apple tools, um, I'm not sure if the data detectors are smart enough to, uh, to talk to other calendaring applications. It, th- are there, they? there is no way for third parties to write plugins that intercept data detectors. To my knowledge, it's a shame. It's an Apple imposed limitation. Oh. Yeah. You know, but, I think I dug into this once data. You can find the data detectors. I think they're actually buried deep within the OS somewhere. And you can actually look at the raw, you know, how, how they're structured. I think it's like an, you know, XML type file saying, okay, if you see something that looks like this or this, then do this. But um, yeah, I think it's a, yeah, as you pointed out, it's proprietary is that only Apple can touch that. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm sure a third party developer could write for it, but Apple would block them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you're in the chat room here at macgeekgab.com slash stream. Hello, everyone. Uh, there's some ensuing discussion here about on what, you know, busy Cal's great on the Mac, but it, they don't have an iOS app. And that's totally true. In fact, uh, I will stick with the plan that I have been with for a while, which is busy Cal on all of my Macs. And it syncs with iCloud and Google calendar and, you know, anything CalDAV and all of that good stuff. Um, on my iPhone, I use Fantastical. Uh, it's an awesome app on iOS. Really, really love it. Uh, so I highly recommend it there. Uh, 
on my iPad, I've tried lots of different calendars. I'm a calendar geek. You have to understand, I go all the way back to now up to date in contact in 1993, um, which with no great surprise was written by the same folks that are currently writing busy Cal. Um, so there you go. But uh, on my iPad, I've tried everything, including fantastical for the iPad, which they came out with last year, I believe. Um, and you know, all the calendars five and all these other things. And honestly, as far as the UI goes, the one that I hate the least on the iPad is Apple's calendar. Um, I don't know why no one has been able to build a calendar app that actually for someone with, again, a busy schedule and, and all of that, they seem to want to give me things I don't want and not give me the things I want. Like I want a good month view on my, on my iPad and I just can't seem to get that. The, the one in Apple's calendar is the best. It's, it's the least worst that I've found. And maybe there's something I haven't tried. I mean, I, I try to. I've tried to try everything, but I, I'm, I'm sure I've missed stuff. So, uh, and then I, for, um, for to do's, I actually use busy to do on my iPhone, which I really like. And, and it is that whole paradigm of to do's is not the, you know, getting the GTD method or anything like that. It's just, here's a list of to do's and here's the day that they're due on. And it carries them forward if I don't get them done. So, so there you go. That's, uh, that's that's my current plan, and I'm sticking with it for a while. But I am I am very curiously keeping an eye on the genesis of Fantastical. Without without um, they they have been very attentive to several things during the the beta process, which indicates to me that they are going to be extremely attentive to stuff uh, going forward. So if if you want to see them do stuff, let uh, Michael and Kent over there at FlexiBits know because I think you're. I think you're going to see good things out of them going forward. So keep an eye on that. But for, for now it's, it's still busy Cal for me on the Mac hands down. There's no, it's not, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no discussion of it, but you know, six months from now that could change. So, all right. Uh, you know, I'm going to throw another thing in here, John, cause I'm afraid you're going to fall off the uh, connection again, but uh, I got, I've wanted to, I've talked about this on the show here in the studio. We have, this studio is used for by four different people, uh, me, well, four different groups of people. And I'm in two of them, but not all of them. Uh, I, I obviously record podcasts up here. I record this one and I got two new ones I'm doing that I'll link in the show notes. Uh, the gig gab podcast that I'm doing with Paul Kent for a podcast for working musicians. We talk every week about all that kind of stuff. So if you're in that camp, I'd love for you to give us a listen. Giggabpodcast.com. And, uh, and then another one I'm doing with Shannon Jean, who was my partner with deal brothers and deals on the web. And, uh, we're taught we're, it's called the DBA podcast doing business as, and it's a podcast for small business owners, the kind of the lifeblood of America, if you will, uh, talking about all the things that, uh, those of us in businesses that aren't, you know, overly glitzy in terms of, you know, venture capital darlings or anything like that. The people that are actually out there making money, uh, we talk about what it takes to make money. So anyway, uh, I podcast here. I, re I rehearse here with my various bands. My daughter rehearses here with her various bands. And then my wife works uh, at this computer here uh, doing all our bookkeeping and everything for, uh, and more for, uh, for Mac observer and backbeat and geek gab and all that stuff. So we have a very predictable schedule here, but it's not a very um, consistent schedule. Things change all the time. And the problem in, especially in the winter is heat. 
I need to, I, you know, I can't program a thermostat without having to constantly change it. And so I started looking into thermostats that would allow me integration with a calendar. And really the only one that I've found that currently does it is the nest. So I have a nest in here now. Um, and the way I've had it, I have it linked to my calendar. I'll say that the nest, the setup of the nest is great. Very, very simple. I only have a two wire thermostat in this room. Uh, so the nest it's, it's a Wi-Fi thermostat. It needs power, but it has a battery that it, it charges using what it calls power stealing, which I'm told I may wind up finding some problems with down the road um, because it, it just takes power when the heat's on and charges the battery. But I think we have heat enough up in here, at least during the winter, during the summer, it'll be interesting to see if the nest just dies because we aren't ever running the heat, but, uh, but we shall see. Um, but anyway, it, it's nice that it works over the two wire thing. The Ecobee, which I really love in the house does not, uh, that requires the common wire, which again might be a good thing, but we'll find out so far so good. And the nest also integrates with, um, if the, if this, then that, I guess, what is it? Is it, did it, did they change their name? I think they did right No, It's still, if this, then that IFTTT.com. If you haven't used IFTTT, it's pretty awesome. What you do is you, they have a bunch of triggers and then a bunch of actions and you get to link completely unrelated things together without having to do any programming on your own. So I have linked a Google calendar that we'll use for scheduling this room with the nest. And I basically have a recipe that says, if there's an event on the calendar, set the thermostat to, you know, whatever, 66 degrees, 67 degrees, whatever, whatever it's going to be. But my problem is this, John. So on the surface, I was very excited. I got it all set up. There's only an, if this, then that trigger for the start of an event, not the end of an event, <laughs> which is not good because I don't just want the heat to stay on forever. I want the heat to turn off when the event is over. Now I could put two events on the calendar and have it trigger by keyword, but nobody's going to manage the calendar that way. You know, so I got to dig and see if I can create a new, uh, you know, filter for if this, then that, I don't know what's involved in that. Uh, I don't know how, how deep it'll go. I mean, nest has an API. So I, I suppose I could write, you know, a completely separate non, if this, then that app, but with this other project I'm working on, I've learned that, uh, that pulling things from Caldav is not always consistent, but I guess we've built an engine for it. So I might, I might actually have what I need to do this um, from something completely different, but uh, so I'm, I'm happy, but a little disappointed that I don't, that it just doesn't automatically do what I want. It seems ridiculous. That there's no event ends. So therefore change the calendar thing. in if this, then that's Google calendar integration. But, you know, we're moving down the road here. It's fun stuff. It's a pretty little thermostat. Little, little, it, I, comparing it to the Ecobee, I, so far I like the Ecobee better, to be honest with you. Um, the Ecobee is more, I, I guess the Nest is nice if you don't want to have to think about your thermostat. Uh, but I've always been someone that's thought about it. And, and so if you, you can control the nest, but it takes a lot more effort to kind of tear down its walls and just get in there and, and see things. Um, and again, for this room, it doesn't make sense for the nest to be trying to predict my schedule because unless it looks at my calendar, it can't. So I'm surprised they don't have better integration with the calendar. I guess that's where I'm going with it. But, um, you know, we'll see. I'll get it there. It's close. It at least starts the temperature right now. We just remember when we leave to turn it back down manually, which is easy enough. 
Keeps it interesting. You and your your fancy thermostats. I know, but this will actually save me. This will be good because I won't be turning the heat on for a day when, you know, somebody's not up here. I bet it'll, I bet it'll save, I bet it'll save money in the long run being able to, if once I can get it straightened out, whatever, whatever thermostat I use, but um, I I bet, I bet I'll get it there. It's just going to take more work than I thought. Yeah. I just upgraded mine because the old ones were uh, kind of fall, uh, literally falling apart and like the buttons weren't working right. There was mm-hmm. a Lux brand mm-hmm. that I got at a mm-hmm. Home Depot. Yeah. And yeah, they were just failing me. You know, I, I wasn't able to program them because the, the it was you know, shoddy construction. And so uh, I went to Home Depot and uh, did a little research and got some uh, Honeywell RTH 2300. So are those the Wi-Fi ones or no? No. Okay. Okay. Nope. Uh, backlit, uh, five day, two day. Uh, you can, you know, set four zones and it was like 25 bucks it does exactly what i need yeah perfect there you go they do have you know when i researched the thermostats i know we didn't plan on talking about you know i was considering one but the thing is the least expensive i could find was one from honeywell right but it was like a hundred bucks right and you know and and the nest if you buy it retail the nest is is i think like 250 right yeah, yeah, yeah. It's expensive, and so the Ecobee is right in that range uh, as well. And so, yeah, no, it's it's not cheap. It it um, I mean, to be fair, Google sent me the or Nest. I mean, I, they're owned by Google, but it's it's Nest. They sent me this one to test here. Um, oh, okay, so, which is great. But but yeah, it, you know, looking at the house, uh, we have four zones of heat. So to to replace all of them, it would be a thousand dollar investment. That's a you know yeah yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, you know what saved me the most money? Because I'm actually comparing my gas bill um, this quarter uh, versus last, or this year versus last year. And they list the uh, average temperature, the uh, cubic feet of, uh, or however they measured, I think it's cubic feet. Sure. Uh, of gas and, uh, and the temperature and the number of days. And actually I've noticed is that I'm getting, uh, I'm paying less even though it's colder. And that's because- I got a new boiler because my old one broke down. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. That's totally going to change things. What right? I had before was like a retrofit. They retrofitted a oil to gas. And the, and the, the thing is the efficiency was, was the thing is that I think the, these retrofit kits are like 70% efficient. The, the new one that I purchased, I think is 87% efficient. And then if you want to spend more, you can get like a 90 something percent, but then that involves a lot of, you know, custom duct work and all that. So, yep. so this was a good balance between getting something more efficient and not, you know, spending too much. But, but I definitely noticed that I'm, I'm using less gas and it's colder. So, right. Right. So yeah, some people in the chat room are saying that I don't need to know when the event ends because nest has its auto away thing. Um, which is true and it will turn off. And, and if, again, if you, this is part of where you dig into the settings, it won't do that at night. Um, if it believes it's in a home, but you can dig really deep and say, no, 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 this is a business. And, and then I think the, the, the auto away happens at night. Um, but it's not entirely clear again. That's, that's kind of what I like about the ego is it's not, you don't have to kind of learn how to trick it. The ego just has a setting. Does, should I go into auto away? You know, are you expected to be in the room when you're sleeping? And it's like, you know, we have the eco B on our main floor. So the answer is no. I, you know, if I'm not there, uh, even if it's at night, you know, go down. It's great. So that's kind of the weirdness about the nest is it's, you know, some of the settings, you kind of have to learn how to go in the back door and, and, you know, we'll set this and it'll get you what you want over there. 
But um, but I also think auto away on the nest is like a two hour delay or something. And I don't know if I can change that, but two hours is a long time to keep heating a room after people leave. So I'm not, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it doesn't take much energy to keep a room at temperature. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. I can, I don't know. I'll figure it out. It's fun though. You know, it's fun toys. I like it. I, it's way better. What's really nice is I forgot to, put, <laughs> after all this, I forgot to put this event on the calendar. Um, right. So it's, it was 55 degrees in here, uh, this morning when I got up, but I remembered, I'm like, Oh crap. So I went into the app on my iPhone and I just cranked it up. I didn't have to walk over to the studio and walk up the stairs and, and, and turn up the heat. I just did it right on my iPhone and it, it started cranking the heat. And when I got over here, it was, yeah, it was maybe 60. So it wasn't, it was better than it could have been. <laughs> Better than it would have been a week ago if I'd forgotten to come and set the thing and all that. And, and you know, that's even the thing is you can turn off all the Nest logic and just have it follow a schedule. And at least with that, you can set the schedule from anywhere, a computer with a web browser or uh, your iPad or iPhone. So, you know, I, I could manually kind of do this without having to come up here and fiddle with my fingers on the stupid um, schedule. And I, honestly, for as much as this room schedule changes... That alone is that that convenience and and um, and therefore the accuracy is is worth it for the you know for the money that you'd spend on the premium of of the uh, thing. All right, there you go. Hey, JP has a calendar question. I didn't really mean to derail us to Nest after we started with calendars. I had this whole plan of you know staying with calendars, but um, but I didn't. So here we go. Hey, John. Hey, Dave. JP in California quick iCal question or calendar question uh, this time zone uh, stuff is annoying tell me if I'm if there's a way to do this colon if I put an appointment in my calendar for three o'clock on a Friday uh, and I travel to New York City from California is there a way to just have it show up as three o'clock on my iCal, no matter where I am, without it trying to guess the time zone and putting it in a different place? So when I'm in California, I'm not looking at something that says 6 p.m. when it should be 3 p.m. Is there, is there a way to just let me put the time in? And when I go back and forth across the coast, my calendar appointments stay where they're supposed to stay. And I just change the time zone on the on the calendar or the or my clock. Is that possible? I may be a dim-witted fellow over here, but I I don't I can't seem to find how to do this. Thank you for your time. Please cut me off. You are cut off. Yeah, um, absolutely. So you you can by default uh, calendar uses your current time zone when you're creating an event. And then maps that, of course, as you found when you change. And and that's, it's understandable, right? If I set an appointment, if I say I'm going to call you at noon Eastern and I happen to be on the West Coast that day, well, you're expecting the call at noon Eastern, regardless of the fact that for me, that's, you know, 9 a.m. when I'm on the West Coast. So it makes sense for it to track things, especially if there are events where you're coordinating with, with other people. Um, but... What you're talking about, 
makes sense too, especially if it's, you know, I'm taking medication and I want to remember to take it after breakfast and that sort of thing. Right. You know, you're going to shift that by a couple of hours when you're, you know, when you're, when you're traveling because, of, because of your schedule and they call that time zone floating. Um, you can set the time zone to floating when you do this, uh, go into the event and, and just click on the time zone. And instead of setting it to Eastern Pacific or GMT, you just set it to floating and then it will do exactly what you want. Um, it doesn't seem like you can default events to be floating. However, uh, it the, the events, I believe if time zone support is on and that's in on your Mac in calendar preferences, advanced, there is the turn on time zone support checkbox. Uh, if that's on, then it's going to assign events to time zones and, and that's just how it's going to be. Uh, Interestingly, though, if we rewind a little bit, uh, Fantastical on iOS and therefore I'm assuming on the Mac uh, will let you when you create an event, if you say, uh, you know, I want to be reminded to take my medication at noon floating, it will add that floating time zone right there. You could also say, remind me to take my medication at noon mountain time and it would, you know, do all the right calculations and put it in at mountain time and, and all of that. But uh, but you can do that when you're typing in your natural language stuff uh, into your calendar. So and I'm not sure if iOS's and, and the Mac's natural language stuff supports that, too, in the in the default calendar. But I believe it. It it's certainly worth trying. I didn't try it because I didn't think to try it before right now, but I think it would work. So oh, I'm saying and, and I'm hearing in the room from Michael King, it will so that uh, there you go. So natural language for the win. Just put floating in when you're creating the event and it will uh, map that to your time zone. So good stuff. Good question, JP. All right, John, we got a little bit of time left here. I feel like you feeling lucky with your uh, connection. It's been up for 23 whole minutes. <laughs> I, I think we're good. Yeah, no, okay. I, th I think uh, I see a couple here that I, I have a, uh something to contribute i think all right is terry one of them should we stick stick with the schedule here or uh we'll, we'll yeah. go to we'll go to terry and I yeah okay think so all right sweet uh and then uh you let me where you want to know where you want to go last next terry uh says i have a question after listening to the episode with chris breen chris said that he stores most of his media on a nas a network drive he didn't mention how he is backing up that NAS. Would he use Time Machine to back up that drive? Surely he must back it up, right? For others using a similar setup to manage their media, what backup strategy do you recommend? Uh, yeah, you can't use Time Machine to back up a NAS because Time Machine is only built to back up data on direct attached drives. You can hack it a little bit and actually make it do it, but it's not worth it. Um, for backing up a NAS, you can use, there's a variety of different things you could use. Uh, you could use crash plan, which is what I use as, as one of my backup options uh, on the NAS. It's a little bit of a, depending on what model NAS you have, it's a little weird to set up because crash plan doesn't have a web interface. So you need to actually, you manage it from your Mac, which means creating a weird little network tunnel between the two and telling your Mac crash plan app to not manage the crash plan backend on your Mac but to manage the crash plan backend on that device over there. Um, it's totally doable and it's really not that difficult, but it's also, it requires a little bit of uh, terminal. It requires one terminal command is really what it is. It's not terrible. Um, 
But then you can have it as part of your crash plan unlimited account and, and back up your NAS that way and, and all of that good stuff. And it, it really, it works quite well. Once you have it set up, you don't even have to mess with it. Um, but a lot of NAS units have their own backup functionality built in for backing up to another NAS or backing up locally. Uh, if your NAS, as most do, has a USB port for you to hang another drive off of. And in fact, I've got um, on my NAS, I have a lot of stuff I want backed up. So I do back up to crash plan to have that offsite backup. But I also have a, a Drobo plugged in to my NAS. And the Drobo acts as a, um, a redundant backup to it and has lots of drives in it so that it's fault tolerant as well in terms of, you know, if a, if a drive dies, but, uh, but that's another way to do it. So, uh, and I've got, you know, an old first gen Drobo plugged in, but the gen three Drobo actually would be the way to go. And I think that's still available for one ninety nine at uh, B and H. If it's not use the coupon code MGG 50 to get you 50 bucks off um, right at, at the Drobo store. But, um, but that, I think, I think you can get yourself an extra 50 bucks off if you go to a B and H photo and grab one for one ninety nine. So, um, that's, yeah, that's the way, that's the way it works. So that's, that's how I back mine up. John, how do you, do you back up your, uh, your NAS? Yeah. So as you mentioned, so the Synology actually includes a way to back up what's on the Synology yeah, it's to right. an externally connected USB drive. So that's a uh, one answer. I don't think last I looked Drobo lets you do that. I feel um, I'll, can, but you the other option. I'll look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the other option, Dave is um, carbon copy cloner is very smart. And I just verified this on, on my other machine because I don't want to stress out the mini here too much, but I verified you can actually back up a network drive, uh, schedule a, a backup task using carbon copy cloner to back totally stuff true. up off yep. the NAS. Carbon copy cloner has really uh, grown by leaps and bounds as far as what it can do. I mean, it's funny because actually when I say, show me the, the things that you're willing to back up, not only does it show an AFP volume, which is my uh, uh, Synology that I mounted, AFP being Apple file protocol, right? But it also sees fuse volumes. It sees my BitCasa drive and it sees my transporter library as potential volumes that I can back up as well, which kind of surprised me. I'm like, wow, it's really smart. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, so if you want to back it up, Carbon Copy Cloner is, is almost guaranteed to do it. Uh, not all programs are smart enough to, to do that sort of thing, as you pointed out. So, right, uh, right. That's what I got to add. Man, I, and, and, you know, if it wasn't for Carbon Copy Cloner, we wouldn't be podcasting right now or not at least off of this machine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so you mentioned something, though, that I want to um, either, well, I want to offer a, a correction, at least in terms of, of priority advice for our listeners. But but you you may have just misspoke out of habit. You said that you're backing up an AFP volume. Uh, are you actually still using AFP to connect to your network devices or are you using SMB, which is the default now in Mavericks and, and Yosemite? I mounted a network 
uh, volume on my disk station. And in Carbon Copy Cloner, it appears as AFP. So I think I may have AFP on and not have SMB on. Uh, I think I'll have to change that. Yeah, because SMB2, and there is now SMB3 even, but SMB2 is what Apple made the uh, default. It Obviously, AFP still works, but SMB2 is, is just more efficient. So uh, when you connect two Mac volumes together, uh, they are. It is going to try SMB to first before dropping back to right. to AFP. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. to. I so no, I didn't misspeak. But actually, now that I think of it, yeah, I think my Synology. I don't think I enabled SMB, and Got I, think it. I really should. As yeah. you point out, it's it's uh, more efficient. It's just more efficient. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, where do you want us to go next? Uh, let's go to, actually, I'm curious to your thoughts on, on Jerry's thing. So let's, let's talk about Jerry briefly. Uh, Jerry asks, I'm going to Europe for three weeks and need to find a way to back up my photos from my memory card. Uh, my current workflow is to transfer the photos raw format to an SD card from my SD card to my iPad and then import, upload them to box. This works well for me, but the internet will be spotty at best where I'm going in Europe. I found several devices that interface interface between the iPad and a USB hard drive, but I'm unsure how well they work. I have a one terabyte USB hard drive, so an iPad and an iPad. So we'll need to get some sort of interface between them. Uh, I have a budget of about a hundred bucks. Do you have any suggestions? So yeah, the, the, the first thing that came to mind for me is Seagate's new, I guess they just call it the Seagate wireless. Um, you can find it. The, the MSRP is 129 bucks, but you can um, I, you can find them on Amazon, I think, for about 100. And it is a wireless mobile storage device that holds half a terabyte, so 500 gigs uh, inside it. You can share, you can upload things to it from your iPad. You can download things from it. There's a Seagate app that you get for free uh, from the app store that lets you kind of manage that. And you can have, I believe, up to three devices connected simultaneously and it will connect to a Wi-Fi network. So it, say if you're on an airplane, um, you can have three devices streaming from it as long as Wi-Fi is allowed on the plane. Um, if you're in a hotel room, you can do the same thing and you can even use it kind of as your little gateway because it can connect and, and do all of that. But uh, but for what you're talking about here, yeah, that would be a perfect way, right? You, you go from the SD card to the iPad and then from the iPad, just have it auto upload, um, you know, using the Seagate app, upload your photos to the, uh, to the green, to, I'm saying the green drive because the green is the color that I have, but it, they come in different colors to so the Seagate wireless <laughs> device. Uh, you can get them in green, blue, uh, red or pink, white and, uh, and black. So I guess it's red, not pink. Uh, so it's green, blue, red, white, black. Check it out. That's 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 one thing. Uh, Jerry actually wrote back and said he uh, found a device called the Verbatim Media Share Wireless uh, that does something similar. It lets you plug into. I don't think it has its own um, storage, but you can plug into your existing storage with it, and it even lets you put an SD card in. So you might be able to go straight from the the card to the hard drive too. So we'll put a link for that. In the show notes too, John. What do you? Uh, what comes to mind for you when? when what comes to mind is a couple of things. Yeah. So one, and actually, you provided me with this, Dave. So yeah, I knew. Be I, shocked at this. I know. But, yeah. <laughs> but Kingston makes yep. a, a couple of devices. I think they're called the uh, Mobile Light 
wireless and they have a couple of different flavors of it, but it does a lot of different things. But the one thing that it will let you do is uh, plug in either an SD card or a drive and then pull the data, um, I think both off of or onto the drive or SD card connected to it. Sweet. So so that's one option. Another option, uh, though I haven't used it for a while because the last one I had uh, is busted, but uh, the iFi card which uh, is an SD card that goes in cameras and it has a little Wi-Fi radio in it. Yeah. Um, and last I checked, it does. Now the thing is if, yeah, so you can pull and you can do the same sort of thing. You can pull data off of that as well. And I think it also now that the, they have their Mobi series, which uh, has more cloud like things happening. Okay. So he mentioned that internet access is, is an issue, but that's another right. thing you may want to consider right. one of the, you know, if you're, uh, maximum is a hundred bucks. Then I think the, uh, one of the lower end iFi cards would, uh, would be worth, uh, exploring. Yeah. I wonder if that's what he's using already to get the data from his SD card to his iPad, right? That, that may already be. be part of his, um, his setup there. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants to have two yep. copies of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or you could do like I just did Dave. So you may have noticed that I just got a new camera. I did. Yeah, dude, I got, oh my gosh, it was like the best deal that I stumbled across. So, so I, I saw one day they had one of the Samsung mirrorless cameras on a refurb on special and, yep. and I missed it. But then also I looked and it wasn't quite for me, but then I found a Woot deal, a uh, Nikon Coolpix S 9700 refurb. Um, and it only had, and it was only 150. So I'm like, okay, you know, that, that I can, Wow. That was a good, a, a, for that camera, it's a really good deal. And it's a, it's a better camera that I, that, than I have now. And actually, if anybody would like a uh, well cared for uh, Lumix uh, DMC TZ5, uh, let me know. It's still a good camera. It's just, this one's better. Sure. I mean, dude, it got 30 X optical zoom. It's crazy optical zoom. Wow. I, I love, I love that classic camera. I mean, I can see things from really far away. And if you've seen some of the pictures I took, you're like, wow, how'd you get so close? Yeah. It's like, oh, not me. It's the camera. Right. But, um, right. Right. But the nice thing about this camera is that it actually has, um, it's a bit hokey, but you can actually connect to the camera. Um, and they have an iOS app. Now the only bad news is it's only iOS, not on the computer, but they have an iOS app where you can pull the data off of the, uh, camera wirelessly but the cool thing is you can also do limited remote control and that's kind of fun too so you can control the camera using your phone as well so that that i thought was kind of neat that is a lot of the cameras now have not only of course it has gps built in so you can geotag the photos which i think is neat as well but sure uh, but a lot of the newer cameras have some form of wi-fi that that again allows either uh, you know pulling the photos off or controlling and or controlling it and and i think that's a really neat trend so uh and hey, it was 150 bucks, man. So <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a little above his threshold there, but I don't know if I want to say getting a new camera is the way to solve the problem, but <laughs> maybe it is. Yeah. Well, but it does, again, it doesn't, it sounds like whatever he's doing, he's already getting the photos from his camera to his iPad. Mm-hmm. He then needs to back them up to other storage from there just so he has hopefully at least two copies right while he's traveling. I think, I think that's the, that's the point so all right man well a little bit of a hiccup here and there with the connection and all of that stuff with you but i think we've survived i think we recorded the show so that's uh that's always step one (laughs) and we help people learn at least three new things 
At least, I, man, I learned new things during this show. I can't imagine everybody else didn't. So that's, uh, that's good. That's fun stuff. Hey, uh, if you want to email us anything, if you want to tell us what you learned, if you want to ask us a question, if you want to tell us what course you took at Linda, uh, anything, whatever you want to say, what what problem you solved with iMazing or however you used any piece of technology, whether they sponsor us or not, uh, write us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Despite all, all the instability here, Dave, I'm, I'm almost certain I heard you say via Skype feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. In fact, if you want to leave us a voicemail via Skype, you can do that at MacGeekGab. That, however, simply redirects to our voicemail, which is at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... Uh Uh-oh. Seriously? Did I lose you? It sounds like I might have. 4335... If you want to leave us iTunes comments, uh, we would really appreciate that. Uh, we are, as I read this, we are at 499 ratings and 387 customer reviews. I would love to see the ratings number go up to 500. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, that has already happened. However, I'd love to see us get to 400 customer reviews in the next week. Um, but we've had some come in recently. And uh, and I really, really... Uh, uh, like it. So I want to read a couple of them. Jonathan Cooper wrote uh, that this is the best podcast for geeks. The show is centered on Macs and iDevices, but the discussion ranges into a whole bunch of other geeky things. I have to stop writing now. They're coming to get me and I don't want to get. And then he left it off there, which is awesome. Great Mac podcast written by Mike 23. Learn something new every time I listen. Give it a try. Stubby number two writes dynamic duo. John and Dave continue to break down complex issues into easy to understand lingo. They are my, they are a pleasure to listen to my go-to geeks. Carlo MBA says uh, nerdy geeks. These guys deep dive into Apple technical support as well as networking issues. Thanks for a great show. Virtual stash consistently good podcast Two knowledgeable and nice guys with a big network. Uh, great podcast from T Del Priori have listened for a number of years continue to learn something each time the synergy between john and dave is a lot of fun good stuff and finally the most recent one that i'm seeing from jimbo 4304 informative fun to listen to and great camaraderie between the hosts make this my go-to podcast for all things mac you too can add to that uh and i would love to see it i really appreciate it these really do help us they help you because they help grow our listener base by increasing our ranking in itunes that's that's basically how it works so appreciate it and uh we'd love to see your comments there john are you back with me or no yes sir hey nice to have you back my friend (laughs) just in time for me to say thank you to you and uh thank you to all of our listeners and thanks to michael johnston from the ios show podcast for converting this to aac and adding the chapters for us every week Thanks to Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth on our end to get the show from us to you. And, of course, the Podcast Marketplace, which, as we mentioned, includes iMazing at iMazing.com. Coupon code MGG gets you 20% off there. Lynda.com slash MGG, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MGG, gets you a 10-day free trial of their great videos. you got to check that out. Let us know what you find. The folks at Drobo, which we mentioned, MGG 50, uh, gets you 50 bucks off the Gen 3. 
The folks at Smile, smilesoftware.com, awesome software, PDF pen, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Build it beautiful. Build it with Squarespace. Check it out. MGG gets you 10% off. Folks, have a fantastic week, and uh, we'll see you next week. But between now and then, John, do you have any advice to share with them that might just get to them? Yes, I do, Dave. In that because I made a backup, I, I was absolutely sure this time around that I didn't get caught. Made up.